0: The Debrief is a production of faculty at the National Security Affairs Department at the U.S. Naval War College. The views presented here are those of the speakers and do not represent the positions of the Department of Defense or any of its components.
1: Welcome everyone to this edition of the Debrief podcast, a production of the National Security Affairs Department of the U.S. Naval War College. I'm your co-host, Nick Vozdov, a professor in the National Security Affairs Department, With me today is Colonel Rebecca Russo, uh, most recently of the joint staff, and now a part of our faculty here uh, at the NSA department, and we're going to be discussing uh, the origins and uh, concept of global integration. And as we begin our conversation, a reminder that uh, we'll be speaking about this in our personal capacities, and uh, this conversation is our conversation and doesn't necessarily reflect any official position of the U.S. Naval War College, uh, the U.S. Navy, or the Department of Defense. Uh, And so with that, uh, welcome, Becky. Thank you. Uh, When I first got to the Naval War College, uh, the emphasis was always on regions. Uh, We had uh, Derek Revron, our department chair uh, at the time, was talking about the combatant commands as America's viceroys to the different parts of the world. And the emphasis was on regions. Then we get this concept of now it's time to put it all back together, and we get this idea of global integration. So what, what's the spur to this? What was the genesis of this idea of global integration, and what does it mean?
0: Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Um so it's really interesting the idea of global integration and global perspectives actually goes back to our first chairman, um, General Omar Bradley, uh, when he was testifying in front of the Foreign Relations Committee and basically said that the joint staff really has um, the best perspective because we don't have maybe a regional focus that might sway our decision or our thought process one way or the other. so it's always kind of been in the lifeblood of uh, the joint staff now when um, General Dunford uh, became the chairman, uh, it was interesting, I was at Transcom at the time, which has a very global focus to begin with, but uh, he used to say, who gets to play me in a global exercise? And it wasn't him, and he said, he wanted to know, why don't I get to play me? And so it really spurred this thought process of... of what is the role of the chairman and the joint staff as we move forward? And so at the end of the day, global integration really got invigorated during General Dunford's term, and it came up to two basic things. Decision-making at the speed of relevance, And then I really think it has to do with risk, specifically accumulated risk and global risk. Uh, That's not necessarily in the purview of each of the regional or combatant commanders. There's also a tension that could exist between functional risk or the functional combatant commanders and the risk they have to accept, as well as uh, the the geographic combatant commanders themselves. So I would say that is probably where you saw the biggest uh, invigoration of Uh, global integration. Now, Chairman Milley, uh, who just left, he's really the one that drove it all the way to the end to get us through to the force design and development phase, um, utilizing the joint warfighting concept as our North Star of how we want to get after global integration. Uh,
1: I think that uh, the way that the situation has changed in the world really uh, speaks to this need. Uh, Dov Zakheim, the, the former Undersecretary of Defense, has been warning for years about what he calls uh, the risk of simultaneity, which is that the U.S. doesn't get the luxury of concentrating on one part of the world with the problem and then working through them sequentially, and that you can have multiple crises erupting, which uh, may speak to this need for, for integration. Uh, how does that play out? So you, you've talked about decision making at the speed of relevance. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that actually play out? So what is it that we're trying to get at with, uh, uh, when we say something about decisions, uh, decision making at the speed of relevance?
0: Absolutely, so I'll also point out, there's actually four major pillars associated with global integration as outlined by General Dunford. And it was uh, decision-making, force design and development, force management, and then also a common picture. So our ability to kind of see and have a shared understanding of the environment. Um, within, Specifically within decision-making, The idea of the speed of relevance is really where this this comes in. So uh, when we talk about how fast and the compression of the time-space continuum within not only conflict, but competition, and I feel like that's where people really leave out uh, a good portion of global integration because that's not just gonna happen when the flag goes up. We have to be constantly integrating um, our forces and our capabilities right now um, across the full spectrum of competition. Uh, In addition, what the chairman was really looking for was the joint staff to create a synchronization mm. effort. And how do we take the inputs of all the various combatant commanders, because um, let's face it, even though we talk about it mostly in the bureaucratic perspectives from a policy perspective, Miles Law is, is alive and well within the combatant commands. Uh, and depending on who you ask, proximity might be something they feel is, gives them the best viewpoint in a particular mm. uh, area. But having a bird's eye view at the um, global scale and the global level will allow the opportunity to perhaps be better aligned with strategic objectives versus regional objectives and also help provide options and advice to the president as a statutory requirement on what perhaps either the SecDef or the president would be accepting as their risk.
1: You talk a bit about the influence Uh on force design because it would seem to indicate that this would call for a force that's more flexible, Mm -hmm. that's more expeditionary, that can be moved from place to place uh, as the needs arise, as we're trying to fill the seams uh, between the combatant commands, the geographic ones, and then, of course, even across the functional ones. Uh, Do we see any impact yet of global integration on force design?
0: Absolutely. So when we talk about the time-space continuum they have in in deciding what our forces are going to be able to do, Uh, one of the tensions that exists within global integration is having to make a decision now for an impact that's going to have on our force design and development years down the road. So we have the strategic documents that guide how we're going to do these things. But at the same time, we can't, we're having a hard time from a global integration perspective is, okay, if we have to all of a sudden move a carrier or two somewhere in the world that we weren't planning on because a crisis pops up, how is that going to impact us five to seven years down the road when we look at modernization, new capabilities that need to be integrated into the system? Um, From a training perspective, if you think about it, we really need to have new capabilities to a force about two years before we want them to be able to use them mm-hmm. so that they have a chance to experiment with them. So without, um, the the big part that the chairman needs to do is to be able to then balance the cost benefit and the trade-offs that exist between doing something now because a crisis emerges that might not be exactly in line with where we wanna go over the long term in the five to seven year time frame.
1: Can I ask you then to bring in the question of technology mm-hmm. into this <laughs> because it would seem that uh, there are technological solutions, technological advances that maybe things we can't do today but we anticipate being able to do down the road. How are we integrating technological development into global integration?
0: Absolutely, that's a great question. Um, There is a huge push and effort right now to make experimentation, joint, multi-domain, all classification level experimentation a priority of the joint force right now, not just the joint staff, but the entire joint force. Um, And you can see it in different spots, but there's various exercises and war games that are going on right now to be able to really um, tailor and use these new capabilities to see what would be most effective and what we want out of our future force.
1: For the students that are dealing with this in the classroom, what would be some of the takeaways you'd want them uh, to leave, whether it's Newport or any of our sister institutions, uh, when they go back into uh, their jobs and their positions? What's the sense of what does global integration mean for them as they move uh, forward in their careers?
0: Absolutely, I think the decision making um, at the speed of relevance. Um, we used to say at the speed of conflict, but back to the competition uh, discussion, that's we really need to be ready uh, pretty much for everything, which is a lot of things to be ready for. And if we're ready for everything, are we ready for nothing? Um, but I would also say the idea of risk—not just risk of a region, but because The um, character of war has changed so much, and there's such a compression in time, the advent of hypersonic weapons, Um, the addition of things like cyber and space domains, um, the electromagnetic spectrum, and all the other dimensions that have really compressed the time-space continuum for us require decision-making of senior leaders not only to be held at a higher level, closer to the strategic level, but also be done at a much faster pace. And in order to do that, we have to have a global perspective of how a single decision is going to impact different areas, mostly because oftentimes it will affect our nation's partners and allies. And so they are such a huge component to the global burden sharing we do. that we need to be able to make sure we're taking all those things into consideration. So what I would offer for people leaving here is that if they go to a regional area, absolutely work those problems, but understand what the global implications Mm. are going to be of a decision that is made in there. And when you can offer the different perspectives and the risks associated with doing something in that regional area, that'll give you more information to provide to senior leaders so that they can make a, a risk informed decision.
1: I think to uh, wrap this up, I'd like to maybe get your sense, uh, because you've used this point, uh, several points, and I'm talking about risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do not live in a world that is a no-risk world. Right. Uh, we have to, to uh, handle trade-offs. And ultimately, these are political decisions sure. made by civilian leaders. What's your sense from observing the strategic environment about the, the consciousness of risk uh, within senior uh, military and national security leaders, but then in, in the country as a whole? Is there a sense that uh, uh, we live in a riskier environment? We're not in a post-1991, uh, uh, where the U.S. essentially has the freedom to make mistakes and not necessarily pay a price? As you've noted, it's not just conflict, it's a global competition with near-peer competitors. Um, what do you, what's your sense of our risk tolerance uh, in this uh, changed environment?
0: I think uh, it's a really interesting tension. I think we want to accept more risk, uh, and I think the facts show that there is more risk in the world. Um, our willing, the strategic leaders' willingness to accept that, I think they are they are trying. Um, we are trying to bring the processes along so that the processes work at a faster pace, so that they can be fully informed at all levels to then make the appropriate decision. Um, so I think we're headed in that direction. I think as other technological advances come online, um, there will be an opportunity to see some of these processes evolve and the addition of large language models, AI, um, you know, quantum computing, um, that'll speed up some of this process. So I think we're still going to have that tension of the bureaucracy working the way the bureaucracy works, and there's good parts of that that we need, um, but the drive to innovate and move quicker um, has proven that we've had to adapt over the course of time, and that won't change. So how do we do it faster and more fully informed?
1: Well, and I think that's a, a good point to, to leave our discussion on, because it's something the environment that uh, our students will be entering uh, and is going to, I think, dominate the rest of their careers in the national security field, the uncertainty, change, uh, disruptive technologies, and a world that isn't as predictable as we would like it to be. So, Becky, thank you very much uh, for joining us today on this uh, edition of The Debrief. Thanks.